In the early 1990s, I was pastoring at First Baptist Church May, and there was a discipleship program or material that, was, uh, that came out that many of y'all are very familiar with if you've been at First Baptist Photographer long. It's called Experiencing God. It's written by Henry Blackaby, and uh, Henry Blackaby was, a, was a really an incredible leader, teacher, but also a prophetic voice uh, to the church, and in particular in the Southern Baptist life. And in his uh, study on experiencing God, one of the things that has stuck with me over the years is he spoke of how there are various ways that God speaks to his people. God will speak to his people through prayer. And uh, I know that in my own personal prayer time, especially when I get quiet before God, I believe that God speaks. Uh, God will speak to his people through other people. We heard a great testimony in my uh, uh, growth group this morning about how God has spoken in one of our family's lives uh, through their mother and, and actually through something that I had said in the past. And so certainly God will speak to us through other godly people. In fact, God will often even speak to us through those who aren't godly. Uh, God can use whatever tool he wants. He used a donkey uh, to speak to Balaam. So uh, God can speak to us through others. God can also and does speak to us through what Henry Blackaby referred to as spiritual markers in our lives. Uh, God, we can look back in our life and see where God moved at a certain point and how God led us. And if you line those up, sometimes they'll provide direction in your life. But the fourth, and, and he would list this first, the most important way that the Lord speaks to us is directly through his word. And the reason that that is crucial for us to understand some things about this is because out of those four different ways that God tends to speak to us, there's only one of those that is objective, that is unchanging, that will always be the same. And that is the word of God. See, you can be misled by other people. <laughs> you can be uh, confused as you pray and you seek the Lord by what you feel like or believe he is telling you. A few of us have ever uh, actually heard God's voice. I don't know how many times, there's no way I could count the number of times that I've heard people say something like this to me. You know, God spoke to me and it was almost like it was an audible voice and I knew it was God speaking. Certainly, I've had those experiences myself where I really believe that God was speaking. But ultimately, God will never speak to you in a way that does not line up with his word. His word is objective. His word provides a foundation. His word uh, gives us something solid upon which we can build on and, and, and we can trust what we're hearing. And so if we're truly going to seek to follow the Lord, we must be tied to, to his word. Because his word is trustworthy. You cannot say that God is speaking to me, and I know that God's speaking to me if you're not spending time in his word. So true revival, a true movement of God is going to be tied to and based upon the word of God. There will not be revival or the work of God outside of his word. <clears throat> now, as we walk, walk through the book of Acts, years ago, there's something that I noticed about the book of Acts, and we're going to get to it in a moment uh, in more detail, but there came a time where in the book of Acts, it, it, initially they talked about how 3,000 were saved and were added to the church. And then not long after that, there's another number given 5,000. After that, when you look at the growth of the church in the book of Acts, you'll see them say many people joined the church. Many came to faith and, and, and were received into the church family, but they quit giving an exact number. But what you always see is the word of God spread. 
the measure of the, of the movement of the church was not necessarily a specific number, though they talked about how many would come to faith. The measure of the movement of, of the kingdom of God was based on his word being spread. So I, I want you to, to hold on to that as we begin to walk through this. I've chosen for our foundational text as we walk through Acts, we're kind of to Acts chapter 7, we, I mean chapter 6. We looked at Acts chapter 5 last week, and so this is going to be the last in our series of, of seven essentials for revival that come out of the early part of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, is more often than not a passage that is used uh, when uh, we talk about how deacons came to be and why we have the office of deacons in the church body. And so you'll, you'll remember it from that context, but we're going to look specifically about the role that God's word plays here. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The scripture says, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows are being overlooked in daily distribution. The 12, so at this point, the 12 were the pastors of the church. They were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. The 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who can appoint, be appointed to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Now there were, certain, there were several issues here that were going on that caused the church to select deacons. The underlying issue was this jealousy between one group of widows that had, had grown up Jewish and, uh, by faith and another group that had not grown up Jewish where they'd all become Christians and, and because uh, one group felt like the other was getting preferential treatment and so they're complaining about it in the church. It's caused a split in the church. And, and so you, you could argue that, that the deacons uh, were selected to provide some uh, to help bring unity back to the church. And certainly that's true. And so we see in our deacon body, one of the things our deacons talk about is their role in, in helping to provide unity in the body of Christ. They also had an administrative duty. It, there's one thing that, that when we talk about deacons in particular, and used to bug me, I'd, I'd hear pastors say something like this, well, deacons should be just like table waiters. They're not supposed to run the church. Well, the deacon body's not supposed to run the church, and you've seen that in some churches before where the deacon body acts more like a board of directors than a ministry team. But that's not what deacons are called to do is just wait tables. Deacons were given the authority to oversee the income of the church. All of the income at that point was going to take care of the needs of these widows. And so they were given administrative authority under the leadership of the pastors. And, and yet, the underlying reason that the, the pastoral leadership of the church at that point came to the church and said, hey, we need these deacons. We need these servants. We need this office of deacon because there's so much going on here that we're being torn away from the ministry of the word. 
And what was crucial if the church was going to continue to move forward was the ministry of the word of God. And you see them complain about that or suggest that there in verse 2. It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to go take care of these administrative duties. And then down at verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. So you see this increase in number, but it was because the word of God was continuing to spread. God's word began to permeate throughout Jerusalem and because it did, you, begin to, you continue to see the growth of the church and, and hundreds and thousands coming to faith. So I want us to walk through the book of Acts. I'm using Acts 6 as a launch platform because when I was doing my own just personal Bible study one time, working through this, I noticed something that began to, I began to see this over and over and over. Verse, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 7, we see that the word of God had begun to had pressed out and permeated their town. The church was only in Jerusalem at that point. That's where the church was launched, and it was growing uh, like wildfire. God's word should, we, we should focus on pressing God's word out into our community, into our town. Here's the struggle. This is the real crux here. Our job is not to grow First Baptist Church. And certainly not to grow First Baptist Church at all costs. You can get people here. Our goal is to proclaim the word of God so that God grows his church and his kingdom. Because if what we're doing is not founded upon God's word, it will not last. It is not eternal. Only God's word is going to last forever. And so we've got we've to press God's word out into our town. But it goes beyond that because this is what's cool and this is where you see the importance of God's word. As the church continued to grow, what happened next is persecution came upon the church. And in Acts chapter 7, you have the stoning of Stephen. And after the stoning of Stephen, the church began to uh, uh, be scattered throughout the area. And it, it moved not outside of Jerusalem up into Samaria. And so you had disciples who were, who were going out in Samaria to flee persecution. And as they did, they continued to proclaim the word of God. So you see in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, the scripture says, so those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. And so you see this measure of the movement of God in the movement of God's word. And then in Acts chapter 8 verse 14, you have the Samaritans, which would, which would kind of for us signify a larger area outside of our own little city. It might be our county or even, even a region or our state. The, 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 the people were scattered and God's word then began to move out into Samaria. And, in, and the success of the church there had was measured not just by the numbers of people, but the success of the church was measured by the word of God that was moving up into Samaria. And so you see in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, Scripture says, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to join them. And they begin to celebrate with them is essentially what happened. And so what happened is that the church of Jerusalem saw, hey, the Samaritans have received the word of God. It doesn't say 
that there were thousands of the Samaritans saved, many were saved. Many came to faith because they had received the word of God. But the measure of success in the church was the word of God spread to Samaria. Well, it doesn't stop there because then you come to Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, you see this, it's the crazy story of Peter where God called Peter to uh, take the message out to the Gentiles. And God did that to Peter, uh, called Peter to that through this incredible vision he gave him. Because at that point, the Jews saw Christianity as an extension of Judaism. Okay? Christians were Jews first, and then they were saved. In fact, there rose up a big argument in the early church whether or not you had to be a Jew first before you could become a Christian. And so Peter, who had always kept himself clean and pure and not associated with the Gentiles, was called by God to take his word to the Gentiles. And Peter actually had a vision about this up on his rooftop where he got into an argument with God about it. And God, in a miraculous way, called him to go to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, and proclaim the word of God. And so Peter does. Peter goes and he proclaims the word of God to, to Cornelius's house and all those who had gathered there. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and, and the household of Cornelius and many of the people who had gathered got saved and they came to faith in Christ. And so you, you come to Acts chapter 11 verse 1 and it says, the apostles and brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. And so you see this fleshing itself out here. But the church began to celebrate because the Gentiles outside of Samaria now had received the word of God. So you see the measure of the church, the measure of success in the church moving from Jerusalem to Samaria to the Gentiles, to the uttermost parts, of, to, to, to outside of Samaria, into that entire region. And then if you look ahead, and we're not going uh, to look at this text, but you look ahead at the first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, and the scripture says that the first town that Paul and, uh, and Barnabas went to, they proclaimed the word of God. And so the word of God was being taken to the uttermost parts of the world. And what you see in the movement of the word of God is Jesus' command in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 being fleshed out. Jesus told the disciples, stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so you see that being fleshed out in steps through Acts chapter uh, 6, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13. It was almost like Jesus provided an outline of how his church was going to march forward, and they did just that. And it was measured in the movement or the proclamation of God's word. Now, certainly, we see in a lot of those texts where many and hundreds came to faith in Christ, and that's what we desire to see as we preach and proclaim and teach the word of God our desires that hundreds and thousands would be added to the kingdom of God. Whether it's here in our Jerusalem or in our, uh, our further regions outside of our own little city or whether it's when God calls us to a foreign nation to serve in foreign missions or, or as we send our, our tithes and, and, and our offerings to Lottie Moon and to missions offerings that they might reach out across and around the world. Our desire is to see the kingdom of God grow but the kingdom of God grows based upon the proclamation and the delivery of God's word. We have to be faithful to the truth of God's word. There's a lot of people who will gather to hear what they want to hear. 
That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who truly come to faith because they have heard God's word proclaimed and put their faith and trust in the one true living God. There's a cool component that goes along with this first major point here. You see him go to the Samaria, you know, out to a little bit further area where, where Peter goes to the Gentiles. But notice for me, uh, or with me, that first, the gospel came to the Jews. Just as Jesus said, you know, he came to his people. The gospel came to the Jews. And then the gospel went to the half-Jews. And, and, and those who were sticklers for their conservative, you know, little world, they were okay with that. Well, the Samaritans, they, they kind of were Jews, even though they're kind of not Jews. And you know the stories about how, how the Jews didn't really like Samaritans. But at least they had a history of being connected to them. So the gospel first went, came to the Jews, and then it went to the half-Jews, and then the gospel went to the non-Jews. Because you know what? The gospel, the word of God, is for everyone. <laughs> it doesn't matter what ethnicity or what background you hold. God's word is for you. He sent his son to die for the entire world, and he sent his son for you and for me. And God's word, you see it in the book of Acts, pressed out in that way. So why is it that we have to prioritize God's word? Because the early church and God prioritized his word. His word was, was the measure of the success of the early church. And as Paul went from town to town, and then later Mark and Barnabas went throughout uh, the Mediterranean and down through North Africa, the movement of the church was measured by the proclamation of God's word. Not every person in Rome responded to the word of God, but the word of God went to Rome. See, that's the point. God has called us to proclaim his word. Not everyone will respond to his word, but he's called us to proclaim his word. The second thing that I want you to notice is that there's power in God's word. When you look at Acts uh, 6 verse 7 there, and I'm gonna, I'll be a little bit out of order from my, my uh, slides, the second point is God's word will save those who are lost. The power is in God's word to save. The power is not in my, my own philosophy, my own theology. There's power in the word of God. And the word of God will not return void. It's not up to me to save a soul. In fact, I can't. There's not an evangelist in the world that can save a lost soul. God's word has the power to penetrate the heart to accomplish God's purposes. You see in Acts verse 7, So the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And large groups of priests even became obedient to the faith. God's word has this incredible power to accomplish something that you and I can't in our own arguments. <laughs> One of the, the greatest tools for sharing your faith is to have a Bible with you. And, and if somebody has a question, open up God's word and hand it to them and say, why don't you read that verse right there, Romans 3.23 for yourself. Well, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what does that verse mean? What's it mean to you? And, and, and allow God's word to speak because God's word will accomplish its purpose. God's word pierced the heart of the hearers in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, you see God's word pierce their heart as Peter preached the word of God. And in fact, all of the sermons that you see in the book of Acts are based upon 
the word of God. So Peter preaches from his Bible. He preaches from the Old Testament. He preaches God's word and he relates it to their day and he relates it to Jesus. And after he finishes preaching, the people respond. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's word, when it is proclaimed, when it is taught, when it is read, God's word will penetrate a hard heart. I think far too often we think that our job, when we share our faith, is to argue someone into the kingdom. To explain how our theology is, is, uh, makes more sense than, than their theology or their understanding. Ultimately, God's word is the greatest tool that God uses to penetrate the heart of the lost. I don't know how many times I've read a testimony like this. Someone who was far, far from God picked up the Bible and sat down and began to read it. And they were convicted of their sins and they turned to God. All they had (laughs) was God's word. They didn't have to have a preacher there to explain it to them. All they needed was the word of God. We've got to stay tied to the word of God. His word is true. And then the, the final thing I want you to see here about the power of God's word, not only will it pierce the heart of the hearer, not only will his word save lost souls, his word is fruitful to encourage us that we can grow in our faith. This is a passage that I preached from a while back in uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and God's word tells us that he will, uh, his word is true and it is trustworthy. Let me get there real quick. 2 Timothy three sixteen. I think we have it up on the screen. Technology is not my friend today. Any of y'all ever had that issue? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. God's word is not only profitable for those who are lost to pierce their hearts and to lead them to faith, God's word is profitable for you and I. If we want to know what God is calling us to, how God is leading us, his word is the first place that we ought to go, not the last. I think far too often we'll go to other people and and, and we'll, we'll pray and we'll ask God to speak to us, but we won't take time to pick up his word. Years ago, a young man came to me and he was struggling with the where the Lord was leading him. He had sensed a call to ministry and he was struggling with that and, and some, some specific direction in his life. And he said, Pastor, I, I just need God to speak to me. I, I want to hear from God. How, what do I need to do? How can I hear God's voice? And I told him, I said, here's what you need to do. You need to get alone. I want you to do this for three days in a row. And this is not necessarily a prescription for everybody, but it was for him at that time. Spend 30 minutes each day, three days in a row, 30 minutes to an hour with your Bible alone in your apartment, and and seek God and ask him to speak to you. Well, about a month, he comes to me with the same story, the same frustration. Pastor, I need God to speak to me. I don't know. I've got to make a decision about my career, and I've got to make a decision about my family. And Lord, I I, I need the Lord to speak to me. And I said, well, 
did you do what I suggested you do three months ago or a month ago? And he said, well, the first day I did and, and I, I had God's, the word and, and I was in my room and, and about two minutes later the doorbell rang and I got distracted and I said, well, did you ever go back to it? Well, no. And so my question for him was, how can you expect to hear God's voice if you're not able, or willing to open his word and spend time with him in his word? You can't. I don't know how many times I, I hear people frustrated. Well, how can I know what God is saying? Open his word and look at it. Spend time reading it. Spend time alone asking him to reveal himself through his word. You will not hear God's voice and you won't get your marching orders from your Lord until you spend time in his word listening for those orders. There's power in God's word. There's power in God's word to, to console you when you're hurting. There's power in God's word to encourage you when you're down. There's power in God's word to convict you when you're living in sin. There's power in God's word to encourage you and lift you up and build you up. God's word will encourage and, and equip the righteous person, God's children, to accomplish what he has set before us. And then finally, what we see is this proclamation of God's word. The proclamation of God's word, we saw it in Paul's letter to Timothy. And I'd, before our prayer time, I read 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he commanded, Paul commanded Timothy to preach the word. But we see it in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 there. The, the disciples... The 12 apostles were concerned because they were being distracted from the proclamation of the word of God. And so what they did was they, they asked the church to bring out, to, to select deacons so that they would not no longer be distracted from the proclamation of God's word. In verse chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples, and it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. And then you find again, down in verse 7, the word of God spread as the disciples were able to continue to proclaim the word of God. Our leaders in our churches must preach God's word or we will never see true revival. We'll never see a true movement of God. We have to preach the word of God. Far too often, what we want to do is preach what makes people feel good. Proclaim what people want to hear because we can draw a crowd if we do it just right. If we use good marketing tools, we can get more people to come and more people to give. True revival is going to be built upon the leaders of the church proclaiming the word of God. True revival should also be the focus of our prayer. God's word should be the focus of our prayer as well. In Acts chapter 4, we've looked at Acts chapter 4, the prayer of the church over and over and over. And we find in there, in verse 29, that the church prayed the word of God. Their focus was on God's word to such an extent that when they came to the Lord in prayer, they were praying God's word back to him. And then third, God's word should be the focus of the entire congregation. Look at Acts 4, verse 31, and we're going to end with that text today. I've moved around a lot, and I told you that we were going to be looking at a lot of these texts in the book of Acts. At the end of the prayer time, Acts 4, 
You had this prayer beginning in about verse 23 where the church prayed for boldness. They prayed the word of God. And then in verse 31, the scripture says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Who spoke the word of God with boldness? All of the congregation that had been filled with the Spirit of God. They came together and they prayed and they asked God to fill them with boldness so that they could continue to to preach Jesus. And they lifted up that prayer and after they prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit poured himself out upon that church and the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Every member of the congregation was filled with the Spirit of God and they all began to speak the Word of God with boldness. And the truth is, it should not just be up to the preachers to preach the word of God. It should be for every believer in Jesus Christ. Every member of the congregation is called to and encouraged to know the word of God, pray the word of God, and proclaim the word of God. That's your job and my job. Not just the pastors. It's not just me or Kevin that are called to proclaim God's word wherever we go. It is every member of the church of Jesus Christ. They all spoke the word of God with boldness. The word of God is trustworthy. The word of God gives us something that we can hang on to and fall back to. We had one of the members of our growth group today pointed out that one of the reasons that they're so grateful for the word of God is because they don't have to figure everything out. There's some tough questions in our world right now. Instead of, instead of us trying to sit there and sort through it, we can say, well, what does God's word say about that? Because God's word is trustworthy. And so when it comes time for us to take a stand in our, in our homes or in our communities or, or, or in our workplace, and there's a question of, of morality that arises, instead of trying to decide what's right or wrong, we can open God's word and say, what does God say? What does the author of truth say? Because his word is trustworthy. And it's, it's up to every single one of us to be willing to stand on the truth of God's word in our homes and in our, our place of work, our place of business, or where we go to school. Because God's word is trustworthy. It's up to every single one. Our, our, our goal and our, our challenge as leaders of the church is to help equip you so that you can go out with the truth and, and, and deliver the truth to those who are lost. It's not just up to us. That's why Dr. Queen was leading us in this, and he's asked you to pray for your one, the one that God would have you share the gospel with, the one person in your life that you're most concerned about, that you know that they're lost right now, and if they were to die today, they'd, they'd spend eternity separated from God in hell. And, and that you pray for that one person and you begin to equip yourself so that you can share God with them, so that you can tell them your story. You can, you can share the word of God so that they can come to faith. Because revival will not come. First of all, revival will never come if the word of God is not proclaimed from the pulpit. Second of all, revival will never come if the word of God is not proclaimed from the pews. Every single one of us is responsible to boldly share God's word with those around us. And if we're not doing that, we cannot expect to see a movement of God. Acts saw this incredible 
movement of God as the Holy Spirit filled the church, the church, every single one of them begin to go out and to spread the word of God. That's the hope of our nation. That's the hope of our communities. God's word provides something that is trustworthy and true that we can proclaim that will heal families. It will, it will restore broken hearts. It will rescue lost souls. But if God's word is not proclaimed, it will never accomplish its purpose. We're called to proclaim the word of God everywhere we go. I want to encourage you as we come bring this service to a close to, to ask the Holy Spirit to just simply examine your own life. You know, David had to do this. David asked the Spirit of God to examine his heart and, and ask that question, am I standing on God's word? Am I, am I reading God's word? Am I spending time in God's word? Do I even know what God's leading me to do? Have I spent enough time in his, his word to hear his voice moving in my life? But then the next question is, even if I am spending time in God's word, am I being faithful to proclaim his word wherever I go? You know, I'm quick to proclaim all kinds of things out there on social media, but I'm a quick to proclaim the word of God wherever I go. True revival in God's church, true revival among the people of God is going to be when we return to the word of God and we we hold tight to, we study, we, we read, and we proclaim his word because there's power in his word. I want to lead us in word of prayer as Matthew comes. So let me lead us in prayer, and then after I pray, we're going to stand together. And this can be an opportunity for you to respond. If God is speaking to you, and maybe you just need to come lay something on the altar and pray and ask forgiveness, or maybe God's calling you to, to a relationship with him, and you want to come. I'm going to be down front, and so will Kevin. And, 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 and as Matthew begins to play in a little bit, you'll have an opportunity to respond. But let's pray together. Fathers, as I began earlier, even before the message, we recognize that your word has taken a back seat in our world. It's taken a back seat to human reasoning. It's taken a back seat to human feelings. It's taken a back seat to emotions, tribalism, politics. Your word has been pushed to the back all across our culture. It's been maligned and laughed at and ignored. But sadly, Lord, your church in an effort to reach out to this changing culture has watered down your word. And from the pulpits, we see a, a watering down of your word. From the pews, we see people turning away from your word. And if we'll be honest, Lord, we, we recognize that we haven't spent the time that we should in your word. And Father, I pray that your word be lifted up. We worship Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation of you to us. Your word, living word given to us. But you have given us your written word as something solid that we can hold on to. So, Father, I pray that we'd see a revival of your word and the proclamation of your word in our churches. But Father, I pray that among us, every single one of us as a part of this church body, that we would elevate your word in our lives. That we would each day rise and spend time in your word and allow your word to do its work in us. 
Father, I ask that if there's anyone here who has never committed their life to you, they've never surrendered their heart completely to you, that today would be the day that they make that decision that they want to follow Jesus. Lord, let your spirit move in the next few moments as we sing and as we respond to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. You stand with me as Matthew and the praise team lead us. If God's calling you to make some type of public profession or commitment, you come right now.